With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. And, well, we don't have ordinary weeks in snooker anymore, do we, Phil? They're they're all special. Goodness me, we had one of the great shocks last week and now, well, one of the great performances in any ranking tournament from John Higgins. So hello to you and we're still reeling, aren't we, from that spectacular show from Higgins. Yeah, hello, morning, nice to be here. Um, Yeah, I mean, incredible week-long exhibition from the wizard really wasn't it I mean there's a lot of talk about we've never unbefore seen uh levels of dominance over a tournament and yeah I mean I can't really remember it myself just how easily strolled to victory in all his matches it was incredible and we all know how good John Higgins is but I don't think we can remember him uh turning in performances like that uh in recent years so yeah superb stuff and uh it's a tournament to remember, not not for the sort of drama we've seen in recent tournaments and close finishes, late night finishes, but just for the sheer excellence of it. So, yeah, incredible to watch. Yes, quite a few of the matches finished early, actually. So I'm just thinking now, <laughs> it probably wasn't great for television in some ways. They probably had quite a few hours to fill at the end. But they certainly, you know, nobody could complain about the, the standard of snooker we saw, uh, particularly from Higgins. To drop four frames in a tournament really is quite something. Remember, he played Jordan Brown, the newest winner of a ranking event, the man that that gave us that great shock a week ago. Then uh, Mark Selby, one of the the greats of snooker, no question about it. Selby scoring seven points (laughs) in a best of 11. I mean, if someone had told you that 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 would happen before, Phil, I remember the pundits the night before, Hendry and maybe McManus and a few others saying, oh, this one's definitely not going to be a 6-0, 6-1. I'll be very surprised. Yeah. You'll be surprised. To think that Selby scored seven points, heavens above. Then Kyron Wilson in the semis, he only scored seven points in the first four frames of that match. In the end, Higgins dropped his only frames at that stage of the tournament, winning 6-1. Then to beat Ronnie O'Sullivan in the final, 
10-3. It was a stroll to the finish line for Higgins. And as people were pointing out last night in the press conference, you know, often, John himself, in fact, often you have little spurts of playing well. You have those peaks in tournaments. He was on the peak the whole way through. There was no worries about peaking too early. He started well. He played well in the middle. He played well at the end. He just carried on being brilliant. And, of course, it was a first-ranking final between Ronnie and John Higgins since 2005, which uh, in itself was quite something. We couldn't believe that, could we, when we heard mm. that? They have been in the final, of course, uh, in the Champion of Champions, but for a ranking event, a long, long wait. And the other lovely thing, Higgins is the oldest-ranking event winner since Doug Mountjoy won the Mercantile Credit Classic in 1989. A really nice moment, actually, after the final, when Higgins was told that, didn't realise... And he said, that's just a lovely touch that. Obviously, we recently lost uh, Doug Mountjoy. And Higgins was saying there's a nice symmetry there because they both spent a bit of time. I mean, Higgins used the word doldrums, not quite true in John's case, but certainly a long time without winning something. This is the first t- ranking title for three years for John. And also made the point that there was a bit of tinkering of the technique as well with Mountjoy all those years ago and now with Higgins. We'll come to that technique thing, I'm sure, in time. But... I mean, can you get your head around dropping four frames, Phil, in a tournament against elite players? This is not like a home nation's elite players. And we were like thumbing through the record books and like just just saying wow to each other, won't we? Yeah. Us three people. Yeah, and I think I, I think it reflects well on Jordan Brown because I think when he turned up and got whitewashed, everyone thought, oh, well, you know, that Welsh Open, not a fluke, but, you know, maybe it was just one of those weeks um, but yeah, I mean, for then for then Selby to suffer the same fate, at least at least Jordan can feel a bit better about that defeat himself. Um, and yeah, like you said, John's obviously always been capable of the best snooker around, but just not been consistent. So when he when he beaten Jordan and Mark to get into the semis, it, there was a there was one of those feels that it just sort of was destined to be an O'Sullivan Higgins final. And I'm always a bit wary when that starts happening and people start writing off. People like Kyron Wilson, you know, you don't want to do that. So there was there was part of me that thought, oh, Kyron's going to spoil this party here. Very capable, but then obviously absolutely dismissed him as well. So um, yeah, it was it was a time for the ro- the romance of it, really. Um, yeah, I mean, it, as you say, it's the consistency. Higgins has been capable of this um, for his entire career. I mean, the Masters was a good example of this. He turned it on against Ronnie, and then beat Gilbert in the semi-finals, but it wasn't great. And then couldn't quite turn it on against Jan in the final. Um, but yeah, to do it, four straight matches, four long matches. Um, yeah, it's as good as anything we've seen, isn't it? You know, we've been marvelling at Judd Trump mostly for the last two or so years, but um, it doesn't get much better than what John Higgins has done this week. It's, it looks different to what Judd does, but it's it's no less effective. Yeah, John's saying himself, this is the best week of his career. I mean, I must admit, <clears throat> I wondered if that was a little bit of the emotion of the night because John's had some tremendous achievements in the game. And I also am thinking sort of twice, particularly sort of what, 12 hours on now as we're speaking, whether, you know, we're overlooking how brilliant Higgins was 15, 20, 25 years ago when we're saying it was definitely the best performance ever. I mean, no one's been more dominant in a ranking event. That, that's, that's for absolute sure. Uh, but obviously, you know, he's had some some towering achievements. I think one thing to say, actually, you know, in my opinion, he certainly looks better 
than he did when he reached those three world finals. I mean, to the extent now where, you know, I had quite a few messages on Sunday, pretty bombarded at one time with the Higgins odds for the world championship. And as you can imagine, Phil, they only went one way. They started at something like 20 to one. You, to your credit, were, were one of the first that pointed that out, I think, on either Friday or Saturday. They're tumbling down. And listen, I don't think there's any way that Judd Trump is not going to be the favourite for the world championship. But let's be honest, you know, Higgins is probably worth a few shillings now. No question about it. And let's say it now before I forget. We are potentially, aren't we, in for a vintage world championship here. You don't get bad world championships. They're always special. But come on, we've got Higgins firing like this. We've got Trump, who's a machine. We've got Ronnie, who's reaching finals all the time. We've got Kyron Wilson, who's you know, pretty much the complete player now. Robertson, Selby. People like Bingham that have won it before. Mark Allen, Ding, Maguire. I mean, you know, six, seven weeks out, Phil. You know, can't it be tomorrow? I, we we <laughs> can't wait for this World Championship. It's going to be so special, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, not that long ago, it seemed that Judd would, was just sort of the only one you could pick. Um, well, not the only, you never discount other players. I'm still have been, obviously, but he seemed a very, very obvious choice. And uh, quite quickly, that sort of changed around a bit. And there's a number of very strong contenders. And yeah, not a wide open field, because it's still a handful, I suppose, but it's as competitive as you as you would like to see. And there's always a couple of surprise packages as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's brilliant that these guys are all playing well at the same time. Um, and, yeah, I think we're in for a cracker. It's been an amazing season, really. Um, so, it's sort of, it has been dominated by the top names, but it's been shared out enough between those top names where it is really competitive still, um, especially in recent weeks. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think... We're in for a cracker in Sheffield. And hopefully these last couple of events before that, we'll just keep building that up. Real crescendo. Yeah, no, good way of saying it. And, you know, we're unlikely to talk snooker down much on here. But, you know, it's like the snooker gods have, have been listening. They say, we know you can't go to events. We know these times are tough. But uh, just as the consolation... We're going to give you an extraordinary snooker season. And it's turning into an extraordinary season. You know, you said it there. We had that UK final that finished at one in the morning. Might not have always been the best quality, but boy, what an extraordinary finish. We had a, a smashing Masters final, Higgins against Yan Bing Tao. We had one of the great shocks in Jordan Brown winning the Welsh Open. We've now had John Higgins playing like this. And we've got the Stephen Hendry comeback to come. Much more of that later. Uh, while we're doing our plugs, Phil, we'll certainly be giving a lot of uh, time to uh, the great Hendry as he returns. So what I'm saying is at the moment, you know, our cup runneth over. You know, <laughs> these are good times to be a fan of the old table game, aren't they? Because we're just having lovely stories all the time, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Masters there. I mean, that's, that's only, well, actually, we've just ticked into March, so it's just over a month ago now. Um, but that seems to have sort of faded away in our memories um, despite it being an incredible story that Yang Mita won the Masters there. Um, but so much is happening all the time. You know, the Welsh, as you said, was crazy with Jordan Brown. This week's been mad, really. Uh, 
so yeah, we've been treated to a lot and all different types, you know. So I saw some people saying the final last night was almost a bit disappointing just because it was so simple for Higgins in the end. But you know, you've got to marvel at the quality. And we've had the tight ones, we had the late ones. So we've got to, it's nice to mix it up a bit and have have the odd thrashing as well, especially when you know it's Ronnie O'Sullivan getting thrashed. Nothing, not a personal thing against the rocket there, but you don't see Ronnie O'Sullivan getting thrashed very often. So you know, it's one to remember. No, it really is. And actually, funny enough, just one thing I remember now. Amid the talk of how unprecedented the tournament was, and it really was, and it really struck me when people like Phil Yates were saying that, because, you know, you know, a walking, talking a Bible of the game, Phil, he was saying, you know, I can't believe what I'm seeing. So that's when you know this is something mm. a bit different. But actually, the final itself wasn't that unprecedented. I mean, we've had you know, two greats coming up against each other. It's happened between Higgins and O'Sullivan and one of them winning easily before. So that wasn't particularly unprecedented. But, uh, but as you, yeah, just a, a dominant performance from Higgins, a brilliant performance. I bet he wishes the Crucible was next week now. You know, just about for him, about holding on to that form. Now, the technique uh, business absolutely fascinates me. No question about it. And, you know, the, let's, you know, think about it, Phil, and reflect on what Higgins was saying it it was a lovely film actually that ITV put out lovely coverage from ITV all week again of course let's say that as well it was a film with with McManus where Higgins was talking about addressing the cue ball in a different way putting the cue a little bit closer and it came from a chat that Stephen Hendry had with Bonnie O'Sullivan during lockdown I remember there's very nice um I think they were on Instagram weren't they very yeah. nice chats that Hendry was having with various a big snooker personalities. And it's really fascinating because John himself was saying, I didn't really realise I was doing it. And this creeps in, of course, with 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 this sport. It's certainly true of, of golf, which I watch and cover a lot as well. Little things in the technique that are almost subconscious and players don't really know they're doing it. But what a difference it's making. He's getting so much more power on his shots. And I made a point to you last night when we were having a brief chat and... Um, well, you didn't call me out for being barking mad, so I'm going to go with it here again. <laughs> I was never that into the sounds of snooker, frankly. It wasn't particularly uh, a, a big deal uh, for me. Until Ronnie talked about it quite a lot. He played Marco Fu in a big semi. It might have been a UK semi uh, a few years ago. And, and Ronnie was animated, as he often is, in conversation with Fu after the match. And the presenting team, I think, on Eurosport were saying, well, what were you talking about? And he was saying, well, I was just saying to Marco, what are you doing differently? You're, you're punching the balls in. There's a lovely sound to it. The balls are smashing into the pocket. And ever since then, I've been a bit more aware of the sounds. Now, now Judd Trump is almost the ultimate for that lovely crunching sound of smashing the balls into the pockets. But once I knew this about Higgins, you know, I was really paying more attention. And he is just making the most lovely sounds with his cue and the balls when they're hitting the pockets, they are thudding in. And some of those shots he was making where he was going in and out of bolt to try and disturb Reds, there was one in particular which was absolutely brilliant. Went all around the table, smashed the Reds in the most beautiful way. And, you know, he's saying that power is such an important part of Sanuka now. Of course it is. And to think that at his age, you know, you're never too old to learn new tricks, Phil. Yeah. This is a very important you know, change to the Higgins repertoire. And, you know, it's just making all the difference in the world for him, clearly, isn't it? 
Yeah, and what what seems mad about it all is how simple it seems. You know, he's just moved his tip slightly close to the white, which, you know, it's it's not like a reworking of his cue action or anything, is it? It just seems like an incredibly minor detail. But as you said, it's it's had the, the biggest impact. And um, I wonder how many players are going to be trying to copy that now. I saw David Grace tweeted last night after the final that, there's going to be a lot of people feathering the cue ball at Gibraltar this week while they try and address the white ball a bit closer, you know, trying to trying to nick that re- uh, technique. But yeah, I mean, the power is right. He just seems to have rustled that up. Um, yeah, and it's as I say, it's um, it seems so small, but it's made the biggest difference. And I think, especially when you've been around for as long as John has, I mentioned to this him after this to him after um, to the semi final, I think when he sort of had this that new lease of life a few years ago when he stopped practicing his house he went to um, practice with Maguire and McGill in that sort of office space they have in Glasgow um, and that just refreshed everything and gave him a new focus and this has done obviously it's changed the technical thing but it's a mental thing as well because you know when you've been playing snooker as long as he has um, you need something to focus the mind on um, rather than just knocking balls around in practice all the time um, so yeah, it's helped on that front as well. And yeah, I mean, what a difference it's made. Um, he looks um, he looks unbeatable this week. It's incredible. No, he really did. And actually, I was interested by Hendry. He was sort of saying at one time, "Well, I actually noticed quite a lot of years ago that John was doing this. I just presumed he liked it. I presumed that was the way <laughs> he loved to, you know, address the cue ball. It was working for him." But almost pointing out that, you know, I could have said it to him a decade or more ago, you know. Yeah. It's just so funny the way these the, these things can, can happen and, and, and change, you know. These little things in a player's technique can make all the difference. And, you know, John has that lovely humility about him all the time, but you could tell after the semi and particularly the final, he was buzzing. And I think it's taken him a bit by surprise, this, you know. I, I really do. I, I, I don't think he was quite ex- expecting this. But, you know, for him, you know, it looks like the snooker world, for the next while at least, could be his oyster again. We'll be fascinated to see how he gets on at the Tour Championship and then the World Championship, the big one, which is now just six or seven weeks away. Let's go back, shall we, and talk a little bit more about what happened earlier in the Players' Championship. Well, we had a, a, a big story on the first night of the tournament last Monday, Phil, because Judd Trump went out to Stuart Bingham, losing 6 five. That's been a poor couple of weeks for, for Trump, hasn't it? Um, nothing, I think, I think to get too worried about. You know, it's more the fact that let's reflect on what an amazing run he's been on. Of course, it's going to naturally come to an end a little bit at some some stage. Uh, Bingham had a couple of chances for one four seven. Sort of strange match, you know. I was mm. saying after the Welsh Open that I didn't think there would be a bit of, a, of an after the Lord Mayor show feel because so many top players were in this. But I actually did have a little bit of after the Lord Mayor show that first night coming so soon after the Welsh. But, of course, the players in the end uh, took over but the Players' Championship because it was so good. But, yeah, Bingham claiming a, a 6-5 win. And Bingham has a habit of, of of raising his game for Trump. I think Trump's only won ahead now on the head-to-heads. And also, most of the really big wins go to Bingham. And it seems to me, I mean, Stuart says we, he, he's grown up knowing Judd. But a lot of guys are overshadowed or a bit scared of Judd. Stuart's not one of them, is he? Yeah, I remember when we spoke before the tournament, you, you made the same point, and it was very sage points. Um, yeah, he it was it was a funny match because you look at the statistics, and 
Um, Bingham's got a couple of centuries. Trump got one. Um, some other big breaks in there. Bingham had a 90 yard. But it just it, it didn't seem like a great match for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, but yeah, no, he's clearly not clearly not rattled by him. And yeah, uh, Trump's just having a sticky patch. But you know, his his sticky patch is still much better than everyone else's uh, purple patch. Uh, he won three frames in a row there. Uh, he lost the first two, then rattled off three with an 81, a 105, and a 76. So it all looked fine for him. But just uh, yeah, I mean. He's been in such sparkling form. It's a problem with form. It can't stay forever. There's going to be um, ups and downs to an extent, and this is a minor down point for him. But, um, yeah, we'll see if he can bounce back before the Worlds. He'll want to he'll want to get some wins in his belt before Sheffield, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, it was a big win for Stewart as well because he'd gone out in the first round of the Welsh the week before, um, sort of an on-edge for the top 16 ahead of Sheffield. Um, so, yeah, stepped up to the plate when it mattered. No, he really did. There were two um, heavy wins early on for two of Snooker's biggest names, Kyron Wilson and Neil Robertson. Kyron beat Ryan Day 6-1 and Neil Robertson beat Lou Ning 6-1. Robertson with breaks of 135, 130, 82, 142 and 132. I mean, heavens above, that was quite a good performance, uh, to say the very least. Uh, I'm not really a a fixtures and fittings man, Phil, but even I have have to sort of mention that the that the hair took quite the, <laughs> a lot of the headlines today. Hair today, gone tomorrow. It was it was very much about uh, about that Barnet from from Neil, wasn't it? He was being likened to all kinds of uh, interesting characters from the past, wasn't he? But <laughs> but, but let, let's joke about that a bit. But also let's reflect. Great performance on the table from Neil. Yeah, it was superb. It was funny sort of opening to that match. It looked a bit scratchy from both of them. Looning's not. <laughs> Not the most fluent player, um, so he probably didn't help at the start. But then when when Robertson got going, he really got going. Um, and the end, we've not really seen much of him since the UK, have we? He pulled out of the tournament after that, uh, lost early at the Grand Prix and the Masters. Um, so then, yeah, just to click back into gear like that was pretty spectacular. He looked, he looked incredible. Um, and yeah, there, I think it shows... Uh, what maintenance his hair has usually if he this is his lockdown look um but yeah no uh, it was something different i quite liked it change it up for a bit why not um my girlfriend didn't know he's australian she saw him on the tv and went oh look he looks a lot better he looks beachy so i think that suits his australian vibe um but yeah um incredible stuff from him i'm not sure many snooker players are known for sort of beach and the outdoors world that <laughs> They don't see a lot of the outside at all, do they? Really, that lot? They, they're, they're, they're inside. But yes, the, yeah. a nice way of saying it there. Um, uh, if we move a little bit more to the results, I know you were saying you you were really looking forward to Jack Lisowski, Martin Gould. I mean, Lisowski won at six three. He was always sort of in charge. Gould made a bit of a fight to fight a bit, but Lisowski got the job done. Uh, Want to say anything about that? I didn't see too much of that, but a good win for Lisowski. No, because it wasn't on the TV, annoyingly. Um, so I sort of had it on on Bet365, but you don't have the commentary on. So um, I, I watched bits of it. Um, yeah, it was good. Um, he started off very well. Gould sort of fought back. And then Lasowski, um, he's adamant. He's sort of adding this sort of grit to his game more than it was before. And he was quite pleased with himself that he'd held off the fight back a bit because um, Gould has started to look quite good. Um, but yeah, no, it was... Um, it, it, when <laughs> that was on at the same time as Robertson Lou, 
and I think uh, those first two frames when everything was looking very slow and a bit painful, um, people were a bit annoyed that we weren't watching Lasowski against Gould, but Robertson turned it on and the right decision had, had been made, apparently. So, yeah. Uh, no, good, another good win for Lasowski. Um, obviously, he came to a crashing halt in the next round, but uh, he's sort of becoming a much more regular face in the, the latter stages of events. So, it's, it's, it's still good news for him. He's on the upward curve. Yeah, it seems that all the time he's heading in the right direction, for sure. Uh, two close matches, Barry Hawkins beating Zhao Yulong 6-5. And then Ronnie 6, Ding 5. Now, I've got Deja Vu all over again, Phil. We keep mentioning how often they're playing. As you pointed out last time, Ding just can't seem to get the better of Ronnie. And he's having chances and looking like he could win all of them. But he keeps just losing. And it's a big worry, that, for Ding, isn't it? It must be very annoying for him, yeah, because they all seem to be very close. Um, he's obviously very competitive uh, and he's been sort of solid all season. He gets to a lot of quarterfinals, but um, that's it, really. He's just sort of just not, he's just that, that level below the top boys. Um, I spoke to him at the Welsh, actually, and asked him what, um, what he needs to do to return to this, the level above that, but... You know, it's the same answer people give, just like miss less balls, <laughs> concentrate a bit more. Um, but yeah, it must be very frustrating for him because he could easily have won. How many times has he played Eslam this season? Three and then at the Worlds and realistically could have won all those games. I think it's a bit more than that. It's four or five, isn't it? I have to look through, but they seem to Maybe. have played, yeah, just so many times. Yeah, and, he, and he's been in every single game. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't... Don't know how he's feeling about it. I mean, losing to O'Sullivan is obviously no shame at all, but it must be irritating how close he's come every time. No, absolutely. Now, you've already mentioned about people saying this match or that match should have been on television because, of course, in those uh, first matches, there was a choice, wasn't there? And we'd see the main match on on ITV4, and then, of course, there'd be a, other choices of of less mainstream ways to watch the other match. And they would join the other match, wouldn't they? Uh, if mm. They could after, after the, if the first one had finished early. And a lot of them, of course, did finish early. Now, I thought it was the right decision to go with Jordan Brown against John Higgins. I'll be honest. I know people thought Mark Selby, Mark Williams, two absolute greats. But I think we see them a lot. And I, I'd have gone with Jordan Brown because I was fascinated to see how this, you know, newest winner on tour was going to get on. As you say already, we've already sort of uh, mentioned that match. John Higgins uh, giving an early sign of how dominant he'd be with a 6-0 win. Back down to earth for Jordan. And uh, and Mark Selby getting the better of Mark Williams, uh, 6-4. So, interesting way to, to start the first stage. But who, who would you have gone for out of those two on television? Uh, it did, when I saw it, my initial reaction was that that is a bit mad to have Selby Williams not on. But I think I think I agree with you. Because we were talking about this uh, last week, weren't we, about the TV tables, who should be on. And we, we both agreed, if given the opportunity, they should mix it up a bit. So, you know, there's no no greater opportunity to mix it up with a with a lesser-known name than the guy who's just, just won his first-ever ranking event as the biggest shock ever. So, yeah, I think, I think Unbalance, it, it was the right choice. Um, and they, they, they cut to quite a lot of Selby Williams anyway, I think, because it dragged on a bit. Um, so we did get the best of both worlds a bit because obviously Higgins made pretty short work of Brown, so we did get to see quite quite a lot of the other match as well. 
We did. You're right. It was it was a relatively early stage in frame scores, wasn't it? In the other one when they when they went to it. Uh, now, the quarterfinals was again sort of ca- carrying on the trend of the tournament. None of them were, were particularly close. Uh, Barry Hawkins beating Stuart Bingham six two. Uh, Kyron Wilson beating Neil Robertson 6-2. Kyron just looking more and more like the complete player now. I've already mm. used that phrase about him, but looking better all the time. Boy, easy peasy lemon squeezy for Ronnie O'Sullivan beating Jack Lesnarski <laughs> 6-1. Uh, Ronnie just scintillating and uh, I was in the Zoom press conference with Jack Lesnarski afterwards and, and the question was asked, just what do you do with Ronnie? And there was a, a massive long pause and I mean, you had to sort of see it really, but Jack just like it's it's hard, you know, and he <laughs> just—I'm not doing it justice then, but he was just like, "Wow, that was—it's just so hard," and and it clearly must be for these guys. But again, he wasn't that disappointed because he's like, "Well, he took the positives of winning a frame and winning it well." Because when Ronnie's in that mood and that form, you know, with the greatest one in the world, there's not an awful lot you can do. And the other one was John Higgins, Mark Selby. I mean, Selby scoring seven points. I didn't see an awful lot of that. I was sort of following it through scores. And one of those where I was like, is my phone messing about here? Am I seeing the wrong <laughs> things? Like, there must be a mistake. Selby can't score as few points as this. It's just, that was sort of mind-blowing, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, look, you can't have a perfect match, but it was near enough, you know, it was just... Every every safety shot was perfect. He gave him no chances. And then when he got a chance himself, he scored big, crunching in long pots. You know, it was as near perfect a performance as you can get. Um, I think Lasowski was very philosophical after his defeat. He did he did have some he did miss some sort of easy balls. Um, but that's the pressure of playing O'Sullivan when he's like that. You know, you have to pot everything or you're done. Um, so yeah, that that's all part of. That's all part of the greatness of players like Eslam, isn't it? Like you, you make your opponent play worse just by how how good you are. We've spoken about that before. Um, so yeah, Higgins and Eslam really laying down the markers with those two wins in the quarterfinals, no doubt. I, I can't remember whether it was about Ronnie or Judd Trump now, but you used a lovely phrase recently about pickles your mind, and I think that's a <laughs> a good way of saying it, isn't it? When you're coming against those greats, you know it plays with your mind really. And you're going to play erratic shots, maybe make the wrong shot choices because, you know, you're you're bamboozled by brilliance, aren't you? And we saw that mm. a bit with with Lasowski. We saw it quite a lot of times actually in this tournament. Certainly, the, all the players that were playing Higgins, I mean, he, you know, didn't really take a particularly long time to deal with Kyron Wilson. We thought that might be close. That was six one. Uh, Higgins did finally uh, lose a frame in the tournament, and I noticed you pointed out Hendry. Uh, you know, talk about the exacting standards. More of Henry to come a little bit later, of course. But he was saying he wanted it to be a whitewash. I actually knew what Henry meant there. Yeah. Go nil, nil, nil would have been absolutely astonishing, wouldn't it? And it and it nearly came to fruition, didn't it? I mean, just just one away. It was seventeen nil in aggregate at one time, which yeah. is just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I tweeted that quote from Henry, which. Maybe I made it sound a bit harsher than it, than it was because he wasn't. He certainly wasn't criticising John, but it did sound did sound extremely um, exacting. Was the word? Yeah, like perfectionist. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, it would have been cool to see six nil, six nil, six nil, just because how rare it is, you know, against um, people of that standard, you know. 
um, Selby and Wilson, obviously, and the guy that's just won the Welsh Open. So, yeah, I, did, I didn't see what uh, I, didn't, I didn't know what he meant, but I, I think players are aware of how how strict Henry Henry is on commentary, and they have mentioned a few times about how they'd like to be in uh, in the commentary booth when he makes his return. So things like that just sort of ramp that up a bit, I think. I think Ali Carter put it in quite dramatic terms, didn't he, yeah. on stage last year? If memory serves, very Ali, though, of course. The other semi final was, was Ronnie O'Sullivan coming back to beat Barry Hawkins. O'Sullivan was 3 0 down in that, a 1 6 4. And actually, you know, I was really impressed by O'Sullivan there. Now, I know some Ronnie fans will no doubt be frustrated. He keeps losing these finals. Plenty of reasons to be frustrated. But the fighting qualities he's showing, we saw it in that frame to go eight all against Jordan Brown in the final at the Welsh, that brilliant uh, break. We saw it a lot of times at the Crucible last summer, and we saw it again here. Now, I said, you know, O'Sullivan in full flow, one of the great sights in sport, absolute bewitching sight. We saw that against Lazowski. But I like that battling O'Sullivan too, back to the wall, scrapping for every point. You know, he really wants it, and I in a way, that said a lot more about the Lasowski win that he got over the line against Hawkins. Yeah, I mean, 3-0 down, Barry was playing really well, knocked in a century, knocked in an 80-odd. Um, things looked pretty pretty dire for O'Sullivan. Um, not many people have come back from that. But, uh, yeah, he, he's clearly in a good place with his, with his game in terms of he's playing well. But, um, as you say, he's happy to scrap it out and fight for it as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, a superb win, really. Because uh, I think Hawkins went three frames without scoring a point, um, but he was still clearly playing well because he, he then banged in another big break to, to stay alive. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it's obviously a concern for us that he's not picking up these wins in the finals, but you know, four finals is an ex- you know, most players wouldn't do that in their career, never mind in a season. So uh, he's not at his absolute best but it's still really really good yeah the, the aforementioned phil yates pointed out that sean murphy once lost four ranking finals in a season but as he said you have to be world class to to have these sort of disappointments in quote unquote you're yeah. getting to finals and as ronnie himself said 126 players would have probably swapped places with him on, on sunday night so you know he's looking at the positives and and i think not only is looking at the positives the best way to be in sport and life generally, but I think it, it's actually sort of particularly correct, if I can say it in that way, in this example, because the overall pattern with O'Sullivan is a good one. And I, and I think, now I came up with a theory a few episodes ago. That it, it wasn't exactly something I particularly thought about. It just came to my mind, really. But I said, Ronnie being you know, quite contrary, we certainly used that word about him before, and, and a, a bit of an opposites man. Now, for years, he was winning other tournaments and often big ones, but not doing the business in Sheffield. I wonder whether now we could be in a phase where suddenly O'Sullivan is not winning anything else and doing it in Sheffield. Now, I wouldn't be that surprised. I certainly wouldn't be wowed beyond belief if Ronnie won his sixth last year and then doesn't win anything until Sheffield and really, really really has a big chance of winning that again because you know the 
the signs are good. He's getting to finals. He's not quite getting over the line, but he's generally being beaten by good performances. He's not quite at his best, but if he's, if he's slowly, slowly, slowly on that good trajectory, as he has been in the early, early months of this year, then it's, it's kind of, it's more positives than negatives for Ronnie, isn't it? Is what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he, yeah, he's still as good, near enough the best player around um, without playing his best, isn't he? And he's showing, he, and then he just sparks into gear at, at times. And I think maybe his timing's just been wrong, isn't it? He just um, clicked into his best form, um, maybe when it hasn't quite needed to be. Um, but yeah, it, you no one would rule him out of winning the Worlds again this year, especially if it's the same situation as last year with little or no crowds. Um, he's in the top. He'll be. He'll probably be second favourite. If not, he'll be third. You know, some some people would make him their favourite. Um, so yeah, it's all. It's all. It's not perfect. Obviously, he would like to have won all those finals, but certainly one or two of them. But um, yeah, it's 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 all good for him. Most of them, really. Um, if he if he's getting to consistently reaching finals, largely playing his B game, you know, that's not a bad thing at all. No, not at all. And you mentioned crowds there. It reminds me of one or two learned um, snooker people pointed out that actually Ronnie talks about, particularly at the Crucible, about how he enjoyed the, the no distractions, the mostly lack of fans. I know we have them for a few days. But I wonder if he doth protest too much because a couple of people were pointing out that he might miss the crowds a bit. And Ronnie's hinted at that. He has sort of said, he, he said during this tournament, actually, that sometimes he, he thinks, are oh, they... You know, he's, he's not driven mad at the venue, which he likes, but sometimes he misses them. And I wonder whether there's something in that, that maybe for these other events in particular, you know, there's nothing to feed off, especially when things are going badly. Because imagine if Ronnie, for example, went 6-2 or, or won his first round to go 5-1 in the arena. Think of the noise there'd be. <laughs> that would G him up. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily going to mean Ronnie's going to go 5-3 and not 6-2, but, you know, maybe there's something in that. Maybe... That you know, even though he says he's he, he's not missing the crowds most of the time, you know maybe there's that extra buzz and energy that he's not getting that is important for him as well. Usually in, in pre-COVID times. Yeah, I think he he I think to be fair to him, he wants all the positives from the crowds with none of the negatives of the crowd. So if if he could have a crowd in in the match, then great. He just doesn't want to deal with any of the the busyness around the the venue or he always talks about Sheffield just sort of walking to the venue and stuff um, being so busy and having to deal with a lot of things. He, he doesn't like the media commitments as well so much. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if, if you could say to him, he could have a very quiet journey into the venue, not see anyone, but then go into a full uh, arena where the crowd get, get all the benefits there, then that would be the dream scenario for him. So yeah, you can see how he sort of, He's torn on it in a way because, yeah, he, he likes the crowd during the match. He just doesn't want to have to deal with any of the other stuff before or afterwards. Yeah, good way of saying it, want, wanting all the positives, positives and not the negatives. Well, that, that's pretty much the Players' Championship done then, the 31st ranking event for John Higgins. But just one thing, Phil, if you could possibly do this again, could you please transcribe John, John Higgins from now on on your Twitter or elsewhere, but with the eyes... Yeah. the right place because you did that and as me and others pointed out you nailed it, it you could just hear Higgins saying it so if you could make that make that a, a possible pledge we, we'd all be 
I was actually talking to someone about this the other day when you're sort of writing up interviews or quotes, how accurately you turn it into um, correct English. And I actually, I actually like to leave it as much as how that how people talk as possible because I think it's nice to give give the proper impression of how they talk, um, be it that an accent or just you know just what they sound like, and you can really get an impression of it. So yeah, I was glad I was glad people got that because sometimes I think so. I think probably if you're doing it properly, you should be cutting those things out. But I quite like putting them in. No, it was lovely. It was a nice little touch that. So. Uh... A magical, marvellous victory for Higgins. And, you know, this is uh, about Scottish snooker greats, isn't it? And they don't come much greater, Bill, than Stephen Hendry. He is back. He is going to be playing on Tuesday night. The comeback, six months after he announced he was going to come back to the sport, he finally is going to be playing a match, a professional match again. He's playing Matthew Selt, regular uh, playing practice partner of him, at the Gibraltar Open. We can't wait for it. The first match for Hendry for nearly a decade since he uh, retired at the 2012 World Championship. Quick plug, uh, if that's okay for me, on, on my Twitter, I certainly pinned it at the top, uh, a sporting life, special sporting life piece, which I was delighted to be asked to write. And um, I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed writing it because the memories were coming flooding back for me when I was, when I was writing it. And the, I argue in that really, that we should just enjoy this. You know, there's a chance to see a great here again. I personally doubt it will affect his legacy if he doesn't do well. I, I can't really see that. And the thing I likened it to, now I'm not the biggest F1 aficionado anymore, to be honest, but I will follow it from afar, you know, in a, certainly in a professional sense. I have to, but my, my all-round sporting duties as, as a journalist. And I, I don't even remember Michael Schumacher coming back that late part of his career, really. It doesn't really even register. Um, it certainly doesn't register to a, to enough of an extent that it, it dampens down what he did before. I really can't think that anything Henry does now will take away that, that brilliance, that absolute phenomenal brilliance in his 20s and 30s. But that's only my opinion, each to their own. But, Phil, I'm going to certainly relish it. John Higgins was talking after winning the Players' Championship just how fascinating it is. He's going to be tuning in. Let's be honest, we're all going to be tuning in. Yeah, I mean, you should do great numbers for Eurosport on Tuesday night. Anyone who's got a passing interest in snooker um, will be watching. And I think it really has cut through. I sort of, you, you're never quite sure how much you're stuck in the snooker bubble a bit with this kind of thing. So I did ask all the rest of the, the sports desk at work what um, if they were bothered about this. And they all were. Yeah, they're all looking forward to it. So um, it certainly is cutting through. You, you, you mentioned how um, some of the big broadsheets have been doing interviews with, with Stephen this week, which, you know, they're not, they're not papers that give snooker much attention these days anymore. So that's a good sign. Um, yeah, it's something to really look forward to. Um, I, quick plug for me, it's not up yet. I haven't finished writing it, but I, I spent an hour on the phone with Steve Feeney, who's um, Stephen's coach, who's sort of a big part of this comeback. Uh, sorting Stephen's technique out, his alignment, he's, he runs the Sight Right programme. Um, and he's very optimistic about how well Stephen's playing. Um, not just his alignment, his cue action as well, they've, they've, they've tinkered with and he reckons, Stephen reckons it's as good as it was when he retired, um, which is quite an achievement really. So Steve Feeney was saying when he started working with him about a year or so ago, 
his game would probably be one out of ten. It was that's how little he'd been playing, how sort of much it had, uh, you know, it had demised. But um, yeah, he's very optimistic. Um, looking forward to it. And you mentioned he plays with Matt Sell. Steve was saying um, Jimmy White and Ken Doherty have been down for practice sessions as well, which is just a lovely idea. I think of those greats uh, slugging out in the practice room. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting. I think everyone's looking forward to it. No, absolutely. And yes, the point you make about the board sheets, that I think I was I was saying that to you, maybe saying on Twitter as well, that it, it is great to see snooker all over the papers, which it was at the weekend. And people like Oliver Brown and Matt Dickinson, now they're the chief sports writers of the, of the Telegraph and Times respectively. They both did the Hendry interview. Now I'm quite nerdy about journalism. I'm a voracious reader of, of newspapers and, and, and in, in general, the whole world of sports journalism. I can't really remember the last time that chief sports writers would have, would have ventured into, into the game we all love. I, I, I certainly uh, can't recall. It might've been like a Ronnie, maybe a Ronnie profile, maybe a little bit when Ronnie won that world title when he didn't play all season, but it's very, very rare. And that's, you know, it, I know I've mentioned before, it's to my great regret that, uh, that snooker isn't covered in newspapers the way it used to be. But Hendry's name cuts across a sport. And I mentioned that in, in a Sporting Life piece I wrote, that when he announced his, uh, his return back at the start of last autumn, his name and, and face was all over the back pages. I mean, this, this is, you know, a genuine bona fide great. And I've said in that piece as well, and only my opinion, this is the way I see it. I think almost it might be a little bit forgotten sometimes just how brilliant he was. And the, re- the way I argue this is we hear all the time about O'Sullivan, Higgins and, and, and Williams. Rightly so, they're still playing. The class of 92, it, it's endlessly drummed into us all and quite rightly. Steve Davis dominated in the 80s when snooker was at its highest point in terms of attention and just excitement around the game in Britain. I use the phrase, it was like rock and roll in Britain in the 80s in that piece. And he went on, Davis, until nearly his 60th year. But Hendry, in relative terms, was kind of a shorter story. I mean, it wasn't a short story. He was a professional for, I think, 27 years between 85 and 12. But his actual domination, which was absolutely profound, so this is not in any way trying to take an iota of credit away, was maybe a dozen years. So I'm just looking for reasons here why I think sometimes it's a little bit overlooked, that Henry domination, which is a lovely aspect of the comeback for me that people can now remember and say, actually, yeah, that guy bloody dominated this sport, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean... I don't know if it's overlooked the domination. Maybe it's forgotten how big a, big a star he was. You know, he was real household name that um, maybe snooker players don't quite get to that to that stage now. You know, Judge Trump's famous, but I don't think the average person knows him like they did Stephen Hendry in the 90s. It was a huge deal. And I remember I was at sort of school in the time when he was coming through the 90s. And, you know, I think I've mentioned this on here, but people, people were talking about getting Stephen Hendry haircuts and stuff like that. That's sort of what a, a cultural star he was. Um, you know, it was before everyone had Sky TV and, you know, watching the, the World Championship on the BBC was um, was a huge deal. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's, it, there's obviously this nostalgia point to it as well, because there might be a lot of people who haven't watched Snooker for a long time who will be interested in watching it to see what he's like now, um, see how he's doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, on, on a sporting, on a cultural, on a sort of people's personal memories, nostalgia point, then, uh, you know, it ticks an awful lot of boxes this comeback. No, it really does. Now, what do we honestly think about his expectations? We don't know how much of what he's saying, a little bit of kidology, playing it down. He's saying he hasn't got any, but, but I'm sort of thinking, well, why didn't you return earlier then? I also do argue in my sporting life. I'll stop the plugs for the sporting life people. <laughs> I think people have got the message, but I'm just recounting some of the things I wrote in recent days when I did write it. And, you know, I, I said that, you know, that, that he, he obviously has delayed the comeback. There must be lurking in his mind somewhere, but he's only human and he's a sports person and a brilliant one, of course, in his heyday. There must be a tiny little bit that's why that there might be a bit of an embarrassment level if he's not quite up to the level now. Um, of course, there must that must be somewhere lurking in his mind. Um, and, you know, he's saying he's got no expectations, but... Yeah, I'm not so sure, Phil. What, what are you, I, I, I think that, you know, he, he, he is a, a supreme sporting achiever. There must be a little bit of him that's thinking, ah, you know, I, I could still do a few things maybe. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's trying to take the pressure off. And there'll be, there's no question that he knows how difficult it's going to be. Um, but at the same time, there'll be a tiny little part of him that thinks he can still go and win a tournament. There's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, he, you're right, he didn't want to come back and lose. You know, he, he, he left the sport because he, he couldn't stand losing on a regular basis, you know. And he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a bad player when he left. He was, his last match was the quarterfinals of the World Championship. He just thrashed John Higgins in the previous round, made a maximum that tournament, you know. <laughs> but he was still not comfortable with that level of play because it wasn't as good as his, his previous standards. Um, so, yeah, he... That that will have dimmed, but he will still hate to lose, and he'll have no intention of coming out and losing. Um, so yeah, it's all. I think he's managing his own expectations, taking the pressure off, um, and recognizing how hard it's going to be. Um, it'd be interesting to see how nervous he will be, because obviously he's done every every single thing possible in this sport. So to come back, first round behind closed doors. Gibraltar Open match seems so uh, minimal compared to the heights he reached, but I'm sure he'll still be nervous. Um, and I think may maybe drawing his, his good mate Sel uh, might have been a good thing for that. Might just take take the nerves out of it a bit rather than just sort of playing an unknown youngster who people might expect him to be, and then that's extra pressure, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's... He wants to get back to the crucible. I think that's that's his that is his that's his goal, isn't it? So that is a hard but realistic expectation, I'd say, getting through those qualifiers. Um, if it's this year or next year, we'll see. Um, but yeah, there'll be part of him that still wants to go and pick up another trophy for sure. And and I think actually a bit of amateur psychology here watching just watching him on television but I think he's been a little bit more relaxed since he actually made the decision to return I think all that will he won't he wasn't really doing any him any favours and I think now 
he's in a he's in a better place. I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure he'll be that relaxed in the hour or two before he <laughs> plays Tuesday night. But but anyway, we really look forward to it. And actually, it reminds me, there's a very nice radio program actually that which you can listen to. Uh, some of you may well have already done. It was actually recorded just before he announced he was coming back. So there's not that element to it, but there's certainly loads of good stuff in it. It's This Sporting Life, which you can find on the BBC Sounds app. It's Tom English, actually, from the BBC. He's done some lovely interviews. I think Dennis Taylor's part of this series as well, actually. Mm. But This Sporting Life, Stephen Hendry. And Hendry gives some really interesting insights into that, into that success and the, the amazing success he had. And just how much he hated losing. Yeah. I talked about Davis. Now, Davis went on till he was 58. Steve was happy competing, wasn't he? And Jimmy White, we see as well, happy competing. But that wasn't enough for Hendry, was it? He, ha- he had to have more. He just hated losing. That was it. And, and he was losing too often. So that's kind of why he quit. And, and again, that's, it'll be fascinating to see because defeats will come now, of course, Phil. Presuming this comeback will be you know, at least some length of time. So I, I guess, you know, if you if you hate losing at any time, you always hate losing, don't you? It doesn't change. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true. And as I said, it will, it will have dimmed and his expectations will have changed, but it doesn't go away. It's just part of your, your character, isn't it? I'm sure he's the same if he has a game of Scrabble against someone, you know, he'll probably hate losing that as well. It's just part of how competitive some people are. Um, but yeah, we'll see how he, how he, how he gets on, you know, if, if he, if he gets halfway through next season and he's not won a match, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't think that is going to happen, but you know, will he carry on? Will he keep plugging away? It might become too much for him. Um, so we'll see, you know, it's just, we don't really know. I don't think he really knows he might, he might be a different bloke on the table now. He might come out on Tuesday, lose comfortably, but just really enjoy it. You know, enjoy. He might knock in a big break in there, and that'll be enough for him. We don't know. Um, yeah, we're just gonna have to wait and see. But it's gonna be fascinating. No, no, it really is. And I tell you what, he could have come back for a bigger event. I always said the UK was the, the ideal one for him to come back in uh, for the, in the autumn. But he's done snooker a favour because the Gibraltar Open is not one of those very high-profile events, is it, Phil? But funny enough, it's the second year in a row that it's it sort of really made the headlines because quite sobering to think that we're now hitting those events where the world changed 12 months ago. This was the first one, of course, in 2020 that we had no fans uh, for the latter stages. We had that Trump-Wilson final in front of an empty arena, didn't we? And as you said, there was almost a bit more of a humour about it then, because it was unusual. Sadly, mm-hmm. it's become very much a way of life since. But uh, when we had our pre-pod uh, chat, you made it the wider point that actually what's happening with COVID and the fact that the tournament's in Milton Keynes has boosted the field generally and kind of boosted the profile of the tournament, therefore. Yeah, it certainly has. I mean, clearly the Trump-Wilson final, it was attracting some big names, but... Some players don't always bother going to Gibraltar. I know Ronnie's been critical of the venue in the past, um, which is not something specific to Gibraltar necessarily. Um, but yeah, <laughs> with Crawley um... alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, with with it just being where everything else is, uh, with the World Championships coming up, with um, the Bet Victor bonus on the line, um, with the Tour Championship qualification for that, getting in the top sixteen for the Crucible, you know. 
um, it, it become is it's one of the more minor events on this on the calendar, but it's actually an awful lot to play for this week. Um, although you really have to got to get to the final. I think I think a losing semi finalist gets six thousand pounds, which uh, is unlikely to make a massive difference on anyone's rankings. But um, yeah, you get to the final, and it could uh, change your season around entirely. Um, so yeah, big event. Everyone, um, as you say, John Higgins has pulled out after his win on Sunday. Um, Stephen Maguire said before he's not going to be there, but most of the other big names are there. It should be good. Very much so. You know, you, you talking there about the Betvictor bonus and uh, and other matters. Tour Championship reminds me again to say snooker has got its subplots in the right place now. There are so many. The one-year ranking list. Who's going to qualify for the Crucible? Who's going to get in the Tour Championship? Who's going to win the Bet Victor bonus? Who's going to make the champion of champions? Did I say that twice? I might have done. Um, you know, snooker has copied golf. Barry Hearn does mirror golf an awful lot. Golf gets that right. Snooker now got that right. And we need that, don't we? There's intrigue throughout the season. And it keeps our interest going as committed fans, as more as newer fans, fans that watch snooker more rarely, perhaps. You need those little hooks, don't you, during the season. There's always something going on. Yeah, and I think we, we mentioned this, I can't remember what tournament it was, but you've almost got to sort of rein yourself in a bit and not disrespect the tournament they're playing because it's not just about getting into the next tournament. Um, but it, it is also about all those things. You know, there's always so much going on. And it, I mean, it works brilliantly for sort of attendance because um, Barry has, has always talked about, you know, when players always say that they're so busy, they get a bit tired. And he always says, oh, you know, there's no, um, you don't have to play in everything at all. You can take whatever you you want off. But it's very hard to when there's <laughs> when there's so many um, carrots on the line to qualify for other tournaments. It's very hard to take tournaments off unless you've accrued massive amounts of points and money before which is only just a handful of people really um but yeah constant narrative um and constant huge money for these guys to win yeah the back to better victor bonus is 150 grand and i think jordan brown still could technically win it but it's effectively a straight shootout between judd trump and mark selby this week indeed and we look forward to the gibraltar open taking place over the next week let's move on then and uh, focus a little bit more on the Crucible. The World Championship is on the horizon. Pinch, punch, first of the month, no returns to you, Phil. We're now into <laughs> March. So that means that next month we can now say the World Championship will be underway. We, we just can't wait. Let's, let's first of all enjoy the events between now and then, of course, but we're all thinking Crucible now in, in so many ways. I was delighted to get a, a big Barry Hearn exclusive in the last few days. He told me that he's hoping for another uh, pilot event, the Crucible to be used as a pilot event with a 50% capacity, as it was last year. The crowds will not officially return to sport, as we understand the latest, until a couple of weeks after the World Championship is due to end. But Barry Hearn said... He wants to, it to be used as a pilot event, as it was last year. There's no prospect whatsoever of moving the tournament. It's simply a non-starter. There's too much going on this year. We know that there was that gap last year because the Tokyo Olympics was postponed. This year, we understand the Olympics at the moment is going ahead. God willing, that is the case. We've also got the European Championship football, Wimbledon. There are so many 
big national events all live on the BBC, all live on free-to-air television. So, you know, there's no place for it to move at all. It's going to be in its traditional spring slot. But, you know, Barry is talking a good game. When doesn't he? But obviously, you know, he's thinking that what happened last year will stand snooker in good stead. He says that their policies during COVID have been uh, absolutely excellent. He says better than anything else in sport, including Premier League football. Uh, so let's just hope, Bill, that, that that could be the case. Barry seems to think that we'll hear something in the next week or so. Mm. But, you know, we'll get more positive news. Put it this way, we're not giving up, are we, now, having heard that on the idea of there being fans at our greatest tournament? Yeah, and I, and I, I tend to think if Barry says these things, you know, he's, he's obviously a very optimistic, bullish character. Um, but I don't think he's one to sort of over-promise and under-deliver. If, if he's saying there's a good chance of it happening, I'm sure there is a good chance of it happening. Uh, I can see it's similar to last year. You know, it would be a... I think 50% might be might be too optimistic. I think he said in your piece, didn't he, if, if he got offered that, he'd snap the hand off right now. Um, I think probably a third full like it was last time could happen. But, yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, this, this whole thing, things change so quickly, as we found out last year when crowds were in and out again and then back in. So um, uh, things can change over the next few weeks. But, yeah, I, I, I take Barry at his word there. If he, if he fancies his chances of doing it, then very much believe him. Yeah, and Barry was sort of saying that you know the fifty percent thing is, is is kind of his aim because the prime minister in his announcement uh, did you know focus on on the return of crowds to sport and with indoor arenas I think it will be either half or a, half the capacity or a thousand whichever is lower and in the case of the crucible we know how small that is it's half that will be lower which will be just under five hundred seats. We'll see. Uh, it, it, it would certainly be something lovely to think that fans will be back there because, you know, it was it was quite disappointing last year. Obviously, we had to get on with it. We still love the tournament on television, but it was a real boon to have people there for the final. And the prospect of someone winning the World Championship and lifting that trophy in front of an empty crucible, we'll take it. It's miles better than nothing, and that's what it comes to. But let's not beat you around the bush. It would, be, it would in some ways be a sad sight, wouldn't it, Phil? Yeah, definitely. And I think just because it's been so long now, you know, at first we were sort of accepting anything we could get, you know, a year ago. Um, but if, if, if it got to that point and we'd almost gone backwards, because, well, not even almost gone backwards, we had gone backwards because there was a limited crowd last year then. It would be demoralising on so many levels, wouldn't it? Um, and yeah, certainly for the winner and just for everyone watching on TV, it would it would be sad. Um, yeah, even there was what two or three hundred people in last year that it did make a difference. Um, just for Ronnie to be holding the, the the trophy up to someone, it was better. Um, so yeah, hopefully that can be done, but only if it's safe. You know, if they, if they come back and if cases go up between now and then, you know, if they decide it's not safe, then we crack on without. But, um, yeah, it would be good to have some people in there. And I had one or two people asking me, oh, what do you think the genuine chances are? And I said, well, I'm very touched that you think I have any more idea than anybody else. And <laughs> one person said, well, you spoke to Barry. And, uh, yes, I did. But, you know, 
Barry being positive is nothing new. <laughs> and I don't think I'm, I'm betraying any great secrets. As we, as we finished uh, our conversation, I was asking Barry uh, generally about, uh, you know, how he is. He had the vaccine and he was pointing out that, uh, that he had, he reminded me he had COVID last year. And I said, oh, of course you did. And bearing in mind, he also had a heart attack last year. I said, oh, that must have been one of the worst bloody years of your, of your life, or certainly in re- your recent life, Barry. I said, I don't have bad years. I don't have bad years, Nick. I don't have bad days, Nick. I said, no, of course, you're, you're tomorrow, man, aren't you? Said, yeah, always, always. So um, we'll, 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 we'll await developments there with interest, but it, it could be in the next week or so, as I say. So let, let's keep an eye on that. And you can read that piece from me, actually, uh, uh, online. If you just look up Sporting Life, Sporting Life has a, has a smashing snooker section. That, so it'll be on there, along with all, loads of other information, details of the John Higgins win. And uh, and also my Stephen Hendry feature on there. Uh, let's move on then. And thank you for all the uh, correspondence. As ever, very interesting emails and tweets you've been sending us. You can tweet us at Talking Snooker or email us at talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. We've had some really uh, smashing points in one particular one I'm thinking about uh, to do with equipment, another one about commentary. And various other really interesting points. We're actually going to save them up for a special episode, another Your Views episode in two weeks' time on March the 15th. Because when David Caulfield joined us to uh, look at some of your points in detail uh, a couple of weeks ago, it went down really well. So we're going to do that again, rather than kind of feel like we're rushing them a little bit sometimes at the end of, a, of, our, of our quite long episodes, as we tend to do. Let's give them proper detail and uh, give them full justice in an episode on March the 15th. So do keep contacting us, please. We uh, would love to hear your views, your opinions, your thoughts, even disagreeing with us, Phil. We're not proud, are we? We don't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Happy to be challenged on anything. We'll be right, of course, but we're happy to be challenged. Of course we'll be right in the end. (laughs) That's the prerogative of presenters, isn't it? (laughs) But do, do tweet us at Talking Snooker or email us at talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. Now, we are delighted to say that we will have a special guest next week. Next Monday, it's the first player to join us on Talking Snooker, and it's one of the game's most enduring characters. A professional for 30 years, someone who's known quite a lot of the lows in this sport, but occasionally the glorious highs. Always entertaining, always great value. We are delighted to say that Anthony Hamilton will be with us next week. We cannot wait for that, can we, Phil? Anthony joining us will be such a pleasure. We'll be doing a lot of listening, won't we, I think? Yeah, really looking forward to it. Um, uh, a font of knowledge in the snooker world and, and the wider world, I'd say. Uh, very entertaining. Uh, knows everything that's worth knowing about the game. Is um, an interesting Point of his career as well if anyone's seen my piece with him at the, the Welsh really struggling with his eyesight and his back and problems from corona and even his cue snapped so he's uh um there's plenty to talk about for him and for um uh, the wider game um so yeah if uh, we'd like to hear any questions for him you've got or points you'd like to make to him he'd be, he'd be happy to talk through he's a, he's a great storyteller and uh uh got interesting opinions on all sorts so um yeah we're really looking forward to that one we really are and yes please do 
do contact us with your questions. We'll be asking plenty of questions ourselves, but we'd love to hear <coughs> your views. We know you'll have some really interesting questions. So again, tweet us at Talking Snooker or email talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. Make it clear that they're questions for Anthony, just FAO Anthony or for Anthony Hamilton. And uh, we'll, we'll read as many of them out as we can next Monday when we have Anthony Hamilton uh, joining us. I think that might might wrap us up, Phil. We've done a little bit more than an hour. This is quite short for us. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Um, I think one thing point on, the, on Hendry coming up this week, the Gibraltar Open coming up this week, it shows what a big story that is, that we've got a Ronnie O'Sullivan Ali Carter first round match that no one's talking about. Because um, Hendry's dominated the scene. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things to look forward to this week. Should be interesting. But um, yeah, I think that's that's all from us. More snooker to watch. It's, I mean, it's already started, isn't it? It started at nine o'clock on Monday. It's almost non-stop at the minute, but no complaints from us. We don't have days off, do we, snooker? That, no, not that, even a few hours off a lot of the time. They're not allowed anymore. We just go from... I mean, Ronnie, Ronnie being the rascal he is, of course, always, well, it's one continuous tournament, doesn't he? So <laughs> almost a bit of a moaning thing. But listen, these guys are these guys are pretty lucky in many ways. And, you know, John Higgins has said a few times now, he said it again this week, that, He'd love to be the age of someone like a Kyron now with all the opportunities they have to play. I mean, you know, those, those, those young players, the ones in their 20s and maybe even the ones coming through, they're, they're entering a sort of golden age, aren't they? Of opportunities to play and, you know, all these big tournaments. It's, it's good times for our sport, isn't it, right now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine any more of it being on the TV to watch, you know, all on various channels. It's not, as I said, it's non-stop. Um, and it's great, yeah. More, 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 please. Well, well, we'll say our goodbyes then. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Phil, in, do have a good week, sir. Enjoy this lovely spring sunshine we're now having and, and, uh, and, in, and enjoy all the snooker. We'll no doubt be messaging each other again during the week and enjoying some more action. But, and, and in particularly, do enjoy the Henry comeback, won't you? Yes, thank you very much. You too. Um, yeah, it's nice weather. Nice. Uh, thank you. Everyone sort of moods brightened a bit. It's sort of coming out of winter. There's a prospect of going to the pub again and not too far away. So I think it's good times. <laughs> where, where does the pub stand in your list of priorities? Uh, very, very near the top. <laughs> good way to <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Bill, for your company. Smashing as always. And uh, thank you for listening to us. We'll speak to you next time when we've got a Stephen Hendry come back to reflect on what a prospect that is. Enjoy the next week in snooker and we'll speak to you soon. Uh, for me and Phil, cheerio for now. Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.